Hi, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast. I hope you're really enjoying this way of studying the Bible. And today, the reading from the lectionary is another one from John, and probably another one that you might not have heard before. Um, So John chapter 8, verse 21 to 30. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Will he kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, Where I am going, you cannot come? Jesus went on, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I have told you already, you will die in your sins. Yes, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus answered, What I have told you from the outset. About you I have much to say and much to condemn. But the one who sent me is truthful, and what I have learnt from him I declare to the world. They failed to understand that he was talking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. What the Father has taught me is what I preach. He who sent me is with me, and has not left me to myself. For I always do what pleases him. As he was saying this, many came to believe in him. So once again, we have a really interesting interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, where Jesus is talking about his identity and the Pharisees just don't seem to get it. And a lot of scholars here say that basically they're just talking past each other. They're talking on completely different levels. So let's start at the start, verse 21. Jesus said to the Pharisees, so let's keep that in mind. Whenever you're doing an exegesis, you want to ask yourself, who is Jesus talking to or who is who are the other characters talking to? Because that's going to help us understand what Jesus is trying to convey to his original audience. And here he's speaking to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, as he has been for the last few chapters. He's not talking to the crowds in general. It's to the Jewish leaders here. He says, I'm going away. And that's a reference to his ascension into heaven. It's a prediction that he is soon going back to heaven. Then says, you will look for me. It's not entirely clear what that means, uh, since the Pharisees didn't really look for Jesus after his ascension. Uh, They thought he was dead, so there's no reason why they would look for him. So there's a couple of possible meanings here when Jesus says, you will look for me. He might be now kind of talking to the crowds as a whole, possibly. Although, as I said just then, that doesn't really seem to fit the context. So possibly it's a reference to the later trouble that the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders would have about uh, 30 years after this point, when the Romans came in and just destroyed Jerusalem. Often Jesus talks about this as a time of great sorrow for Israel and its leaders. Um, So the events of around 65 to 70 AD. So perhaps Jesus here is saying, you will look for me, as in in the future when the Romans come and try to wipe you out. Maybe at that point they might ask, uh, you know, wish Jesus was there and ask for his help or perhaps recognize that he's the Messiah. 
certainly the Christian understanding is that in 70 AD, it was a proclamation that Christ was indeed the Messiah and that he was indeed victorious over his enemies. And that's something we've talked about in this podcast a couple of times. So maybe Jesus is thinking ahead to that day on 70 AD when the Jewish leaders would recognize that Jesus was the Messiah all along. But it is a bit of a disputed passage there. He then says something else. You will die in your sin. Now, in the context of John's gospel, that basically means dying in a state of separation from God. So Jesus here is saying the Pharisees in general, as a group, will not repent and turn to God before their death. So that they'll die in a state of separation from God. Now, a bit later in the passage, he gives a bit more information as to what he means by that. He then says something else. Where I am going, you cannot come. So we've already established that where Jesus is going is heaven in his ascension. And so what he basically means here is he says to the Pharisees, because you will not repent before you die, after you die, you will not get to be with me in heaven. You, d- you cannot come where I am going because you do not repent. So that's an interesting teaching. Jesus is being pretty clear that they're not saved and they're not going to get into heaven unless, and there isn't an unless, and a bit later on he tells us what the unless is. Verse 22, so the Pharisees respond now. They just don't understand him. So they say, will he kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? So they're kind of almost on the right track, aren't they? But they're not quite correct. Why do they mention... Why is their first thought here? Maybe he plans to kill himself. They might be thinking something like this. If he kills himself, he will go down to the place of the damned. And we as the Pharisees are righteous and we're not going to go to the place of the damned. So we can't follow him where he's going if he kills himself. And that would fit with Jewish beliefs. The Jewish belief was if you kill yourself, you're damned for eternity. So that's one um, reason why they might jump to this conclusion that Jesus plans to kill himself. Verse 23, Jesus responds. He says, you are from below. Now, in this context, it doesn't mean hell. He's not saying you are from hell. As we're about to see, it just means earthly, as in they're from the earth. The Pharisees are focused on the things of this world. In contrast, Jesus says, I am from above. So Jesus comes from heaven, and that's beyond the earthly world. He then reiterates it by saying, you are of this world. I am not of this world. Why is Jesus saying this here? He's probably trying to emphasize that when he goes away, he's going to go to heaven and that's not going to be part of this world anymore. So there's going to be a radical separation between where he is and where the Pharisees are. Heaven versus earth kind of thing. Verse 24, he then says again, I have told you already, you will die in your sins. So he's quite serious about it because he reiterates it, but then he adds an extra bit of information. Yes, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, at this point, it's worth talking about the translation of some of the words here. When Jesus says, I am he, more literal translations have this as I am. And if you know anything about the way Jesus uses these words in the, Old, in the New Testament, whenever Jesus says, I am, he's basically claiming to be God because that's the name of God in the Old Testament. And that's why the Jews wanted to kill him, actually, was because he claimed to be I am. He claimed to be God. 
So our, our translation has this as, if you do not believe that I am he, as in, if you don't believe I'm the son of God, you will die in your sins. But if the right translation is, I am, then Jesus is making an even greater claim. And he's saying, if you don't recognize that I'm God. So either one is legitimate and either one works. Certainly the catechism takes it to be I am, as in Jesus is at this point claiming to be God. So if the translation is, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is saying, if you don't recognize that I'm God, you will die in your sins. But let's take it back a step and assume that he just means I am the son of God. Jesus as the son of God is the only one who can heal humanity of sin and reconcile it with the father. So Jesus here is telling the Pharisees, there is one way they can have their sins forgiven. They can avoid going to hell if they accept this one condition. That is, if they recognize that he is the son of God, they will not die in their sins. That's what Jesus teaches them. But if they refuse to recognize that he's the son of God, they will die in their sins. That same basic principle still applies to us today. If we recognize Jesus is the son of God, and obviously that includes continuing to stay in uh, to stay in God's grace and to continue to accept that Jesus is the son of God, then we can be with him in heaven. And if we reject that, then we can't. Obviously, there's a bit of nuance there that I've left out. Um, and there's more to say about it from a Catholic teaching perspective. But the basic principle uh, still applies here. Verse 25, so they're still confused, and so they say, who are you? Probably prompted by the fact that Jesus has just said, if you don't believe that I am he, uh, in order to be forgiven of your sins, then you're not going to be forgiven of your sins. So they want to know, who is this guy? What, what, what does he mean by saying, I am he? Jesus' response, and there's actually different ways of translating this, is what I have told you from the outset so in other words, Jesus' answer to their question, who are you, is I have told you this already several times and you aren't listening. But other manuscripts have this as, why do I talk to you at all? <laughs> which is an interesting translation. Um, the Dewey Reams translation, which um, many Catholics still use today, translates this a little differently. So it says, the Pharisees ask, who are you? And then the Dewey Reams translation says, the beginning as in, that's his answer to the question, I am the beginning. Um, so that's, that's another way you could look at this particular verse. Verse 26, Jesus goes on, About you I have much to say and much to condemn. Remember, remember he's talking to the Pharisees here. And if you've been following Jesus' ministry, all throughout... Um, yeah, all throughout his ministry, Jesus constantly gets frustrated that the Pharisees, who are, who are the leaders of God's people, they're the ones God has appointed to be their leaders, if they were doing their job properly, they would bring people closer to God. But in fact, they end up pushing people away from God because of their complex legal system. And that's Jesus' main issue with them. Not that they're leaders, he hasn't got a problem with them being leaders, but the way they're exercising their leadership is the issue Jesus has. Because he wants people to be able to come to God freely. So Jesus says, about you, I have much to, much to say and much to condemn, as in, there's a lot he would like to say to them, but the one who sent me is truthful. He's talking about the father. In contrast to the Pharisees, the father is truthful. And what I, what I have learned from him, I declare to the world. 
So Jesus, this is important. Jesus doesn't make stuff up himself. He only teaches people what he hears from the Father. It's not Jesus' own initiative. Every single thing Jesus does, every single word that comes out of his mouth, is revealed by the Father. That's how close their relationship is. So this phrase as a whole, about you I have much to say and much to condemn, but the one who sent me is truthful, and what I have learnt from him I declare to the world. So as a whole, that basically means there's a lot that I would like to say about you Pharisees, but I only say what I hear from my father. Verse 27, the Pharisees did not understand that he was talking to them about the father. So the Pharisees really struggle with this idea of Jesus being the son of God. That's not language that they would use. Now, they did believe that one day the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be sent from God. That's certainly true. But Jesus is constantly talking about it in terms of him being the very son of God. And that was something that they just couldn't understand or accept. Verse 28. So Jesus said, notice the word so, as in what he's about to say is a response to the fact that they don't realize he's talking about the father. When you have lifted up the son of man. Now, on the one hand, that's a Jewish way of just saying crucified, as in when you've lifted him up from the earth. But it also is a reference to the fact that Jesus is going to be exalted. So when Jesus dies on the cross, that's the moment at which the son of man shines forth in the most glorious way possible. And a really good book which brings this out is called The Crucified King by Jeremy Treat. So if you're interested in this idea of Jesus being crowned as king on the cross, it's quite an incredible book, The Crucified King. So Jesus probably has both meanings in mind here when he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Now there's a bit of mystery here because Jesus is teaching that when they crucify him, or at least at some point after they crucify him, they will recognize that he was in fact the Son of Man or the Messiah. And it seems that immediately, although some people did, you know, like the Roman person who is at the foot of the cross, he recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God. But it seems like most of the Pharisees don't. But perhaps some of them did. Maybe this is correct. And maybe some of the Pharisees, at the moment Jesus is crucified, recognize that he is the Messiah. We don't know. We don't know how each individual Pharisee turned out. Remember, there's other translations of this, though. So, then you will know that I am he. The catechism takes this as, you will realize that I am. So, again, Jesus is claiming to be God. And in that case, Jesus is saying, when I am crucified, you will realize that I am God. So, it's a fairly strong claim. And he finishes by saying, and you'll realize that I do nothing of myself. What the Father has taught me is what I preach. Verse 29, he goes on, He who sent me is with me and has not left me to myself. He's talking here about the Father. So Jesus here is telling us that the Father is constantly with him, empowering him for his messianic mission. For I always do what pleases him. So Jesus lives this life of perfect obedience to the Father. We often talk about his death, but we forget to talk about his life. But the New Testament does focus on this aspect quite a lot, that Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life and uh, he's able to have this closest possible intimate communion with God. Now, this phrase, for I always do what pleases him, it's not clear whether this is causal, as in 
God, uh, the Father has not left me because I always do what pleases him. That would be causal. Or it could just be a general descriptive statement, as in, I have a close relationship with the Father. So there's some nuances of the text that scholars kind of argue about. What does it mean for Jesus to be perfectly obedient? And what consequences does that have with his relationship with the Father? And that's discussed a bit in Trinitarian theology. The last verse here, verse 30, as he was saying this, many came to believe in him. So that could refer to the Pharisees, as in those he was directly talking to, or it could, the many, could just be the crowd, someone from the crowd did believe in him. Remember that by the time Jesus is crucified, we'll often get this picture because um, certainly at the trial with Pilate, the whole crowd is yelling out, crucify him. In reality, it probably wasn't the entire crowd. We know from the Gospels that by this point, lots of people in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It's not like the entire people was turned against him. It's just that there was a very dominant group uh, and a quite vocal group that was against him and they were the ones that had him put to death. So it's important to keep that in mind. So that's our passage for today. There's two places in this passage which the Catechism spends a lot of time discussing, and that is the the I am statements. And secondly, right at the end here, when Jesus says, I always do what pleases the Father. So both of those get a lot of um, attention in the Catechism. So let me read out a few of these um, Catechism paragraphs. Paragraph 211, in the section about how God is merciful and gracious... It says, by giving his life to free us from sin, Jesus reveals that he himself bears the divine name. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will realize that I am. Paragraph 653 is in the section about the significance of the resurrection. It says, the truth of Jesus' divinity is confirmed by his resurrection. He had said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. The resurrection of the crucified one shows that he truly was, I am, the Son of God, and indeed, God himself. And this is important to talk about, um, and certainly theology can bring this out a bit more, but uh, often students will say to me, students that I'm teaching, Jesus wasn't God, he was the Son of God. Certainly that's Jesus' preferred language to use of himself, the Son of God, and in fact the Son of Man, But the Catholic teaching is very clear that in these phrases, when Jesus says, I am, he is claiming to be God. He's both the son of God and God himself. Paragraph 1693, now we shift to the section about Jesus being obedient, says Christ Jesus always did what was pleasing to the father and always lived in perfect communion with him. Likewise, Christ's disciples are invited to live in the sight of the father who sees in secret in order to become perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, notice that paragraph of the Catechism tells us that just as Jesus lived a life pleasing to the Father, Christ's disciples, that's us if we're Christians, are invited to live in a similar way, and God will see us in secret living for him. And then in paragraph 2824 and also 2825, That's a commentary on the line of the Our Father, which says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is quite a powerful section, so I'll read it out from paragraph 2824. In Christ, and through his human will, 
the will of the Father has been perfectly fulfilled once for all. Jesus, on entering into this world, Lo, I have come to do your will, O God. Only Jesus can say, I always do what is pleasing to him. In the prayer of his agony, he consents totally to this will, not my will, but yours be done. Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How much more reason do we, sinful creatures, need to learn obedience? We who, in him, have become children of adoption. We ask our Father to unite our will to his sons in order to fulfill his will, his plan of salvation, for the life of the world. We are radically incapable of this, but united with Jesus and with the power of his Holy Spirit, we can surrender our will to him and decide to choose what his Son has always chosen, to do what is pleasing to the Father. So, uh, quite an awesome summary of the teaching about Jesus' obedience and what that means for our own lives and how we can't do it unless we're powered by the Spirit of Jesus himself. So all of those paragraph uh, paragraphs from the Catechism will be in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. Please continue to share this around with others who would benefit from hearing more about the literal sense of the text. We'll see you again tomorrow.